Well, hello, everyone. My name's Luke. Greetings to all of you. If you're online or you're gathered at one of our campuses, Mountain Road, Edgewood, Abingdon, Aberdeen. Hello to everyone. Uh, you know, I'm going to, I just, we got to get right to it today. Uh, try to hear from God, of course. So uh, trying to know God. The, the Bible is going to be helpful to us in that we've been following Moses around, like the video said. And we're trying to keep up with Moses for 10 chapters today. 10 chapters. Okay, you kidding me? That's going to take like three hours. I hope you're ready for that. Uh, no, we can't do that. Uh, but I do want to start by making a, a point right away with some help from, from this guy. Do we have him? I don't know. There he is, okay? This part of the Bible is important, okay? It, it's also popular. These are familiar scenes probably to you, what we're going to see. Movies are made about them. They're depicted in other art. And they're phrases in the vernacular of everyday people that are rooted in this part of the Bible. Uh, to make things more interesting, uh, well, I hope... Uh, maybe, you, you'll be the judge. Uh, while in one sense, yeah, we're exploring 10 chapters in the second book of the Bible. But in another sense, uh, turning to this part of the story, we're going to be stepping into a river that runs throughout the Bible from cover to cover. It's a current that, that transcends the page even, flowing from the beginning of history to its culmination. And it bids you and I to wade into it. You ready for that? We'll see. Uh, now, just to whet your appetite a little bit, we're going to be driving to this moment about which God, he says like all, a bunch of different times in this part of the Bible, he's like, you're going to tell your kids about this. You're going to tell your grandkids. It's going to be to the point, Exodus 12, this is a day you're going to commemorate for the generations to come. It's important. Right? But uh, before we get there, we've got to go all the way back to the beginning of the story. Three hours Start the clock. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, God is the author of this story. I'm t I mean like the whole story. The, the creator of everything that we see and know. He, he created it good, according to the first page of the Bible. Everything uh, needed for life to flourish. You got humans there that are, are, are partnering with God to create and, and to cultivate. Uh, I don't know how to draw God. I'm going to use this and just kind of make fire here. Uh, they're creating and cultivating. They're caretakers for the, earth, for the earth. They're enjoying what God made, filling the earth, multiplying. It's all to, to their delight and to God's, and it's all very good. It's also uh, vulnerable to the desires of the humans, insofar as they have the ability to choose the life that God designed or to seek life on their own terms, which is essentially the choice that we all have. We can define good and evil for ourselves, acting as if we are the authority, accountable only to our own judgment, or we can trust the author and be accountable to him. You may know how this goes in the Bible. Humans, they find out that life on their own terms, well, it does not lead to, to life, to true, good, flourishing life. And, and maybe your own experience confirms that. Or perhaps it challenges it at least for now. So uh, summary of the, the first 11 chapters of the Bible, it, it goes like this. It got, it got started right, okay? But then humans, they do. They, they go their own way. We'll be our own gods. Thank you very much. And as a result of this move, it seemed, it seemed so right. It seemed so good and attractive. Well, the goodness that was there at the beginning starts to unravel. And, and it's, uh, it's bad. <laughs> it's real bad. What ends up multiplying and, and filling the earth is violence, and hatred, and sin, and pride, and evil, and pain. It, it just spirals out of control. 
ends up in chaos. It's the way of death, not life. And we get snapshots of this. They're just layered in one right after another in the opening scenes of the Bible. And maybe, you know, maybe there are snapshots from your life that look familiar. It's the chaotic mess, brokenness and pain, harmony distorted, paradise lost, love perverted. You know, this is what results when humans want to live in a world of their own making. And, and it's not what, what we want. It's not good. It's not what we thought it would be. And often it leads us back to God saying, can you help us out here? You know, th- this is what we have to show for ourselves. But is there anything that you can do? We, we really wish we could get back to the good stuff. And just appreciate what's happening here, okay? This is what God gives us to work with. This is Eden. God's like, here, this should provide what you need to fulfill the good purposes I have for the world I made. And after we get our hands on it, this is what we give God to work with and say, hey, could you do anything about this mess that we made? So this is the first 11 chapters of the Bible. And I don't know. Maybe you would say, well, that describes about 11 years of my life. Or you know, just like I know, how it goes when we say, I want to do life my way. I end up in a mess. That's more than I can handle. And eventually, I might even be honest about it and ask God if he can get me out of it. That's the question that any reader of the Bible would be wondering after watching this debacle that unfolds in the first several pages of the Bible. God, can you, will you do anything about this? And you know, the Bible doesn't go any further unless God says yes. History is propelled forward by God's gracious yes. The page turns only on the depth of his love and the strength of his hand to restore what we've ruined. And just as we begin here, I hope that, that you know that that's, that's true for your story as well. You know, the Bible we're studying today, it was, it was assembled throughout history so that you would be able to meet and to know this God. In the midst of, of whatever you've ruined or whatever's ruined you, you too can move forward. Not on your own strength, but on the strength of God's grace. And that's why it's so important that you're participating in this representation of the story today so that you might discover what Moses and what God's people discovered and what God urged them to pass on to the next generation. So, yeah, uh, Moses, that's, that's where we're at, right? That's where we're supposed to be. Hang with me here, all right? So this is all pre-Moses, but uh, it's important to understand, all right? Now, so real quickly, here's how the, the rest of, uh, you know, the beginning of the Bible goes. This is Genesis 1 to 11, and then comes God's response. It's something that we read this for like five weeks in a row, a couple months ago in the Blessed series, all right? Genesis 12, God picks two people out of the mess, and their names will become Abraham and Sarah. And God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your descendants. And in fact, I am going to bless the whole world through you. You are my vehicle to bless this mess and restore it. And God, he reaffirms this promise a number of more times in Genesis. And it all comes together to paint a picture that is something like what, what we had. A, a creation that is restored. Beauty. And life, it's the promised land. I don't know if you've heard that term before. I, I, 
probably have. We all maybe are striving for our own promised land. I don't know, we have different career goals or at retirement or whatever. I don't know how you describe it in the Bible. It often gets described as a land flowing with milk and honey, which is good, I guess, right? Sounds good. But it's a way to express the, the blessing of God on a particular people for the sake of the world. The blessing of God on a particular people for the sake of the world. That's what the Bible's about. That's why in the second book of the Bible, Moses is called. Because there is a promise that is yet unfulfilled, a destiny that is yet unreached, a hope that can only be realized because of the depths of God's love and the strengths of God's hand and the cooperation of a man named Moses. Now, we know some of his story by now, uh, if you've been following along in the series. And we reminded again last week, uh, Moses is not a good cooperator. No, not at all. He is like the kid that, in class that is biting the other kids, and he, he's refusing to line up for gym, right? We got one of those in my family. <laughs> High hopes for him. Uh, so Moses, Moses is a descendant of this, this Abraham and Sarah, many generations removed, and with his people, uh, many steps removed from the promise stuck in Egypt. And Anthony recounted for us last week how Moses had this, this amazing encounter with God. God appears to him in, in, in a tree or, or a bush that it's on fire, but it's, it's not burning up. And God appears to him there and he says, Moses, it's time. It's time to do something about this mess. And I want you to lead my people out of here. And Moses is just like, oh, yeah, I, I don't think so. <laughs> he's making all kinds of excuses, all of which God has an answer for. Until Moses, he's just finally like, okay, pardon me. Just send someone else. <laughs> now, thankfully, God remains very patient. And he connects Moses with his brother Aaron. And finally... He accepts the task for which he has been called. Now, it's a tall task. <laughs> okay. It's an impossible task, really. Remember, okay, this is the situation. You can't necessarily blame Moses for, for his hesitation, right? Now, they're, they're in Egypt. They're far from home. And the king that used to be friendly toward them, he, he dies. And a new king takes power. And that is bad news. Now, in spite of that, it does say in chapter 1, the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful, and they multiplied greatly. They increased in numbers. They became so numerous, and the land was filled with them. Now, if you, you may recognize, you, you picked out, that's Garden of Eden language. Be fruitful and multiply. And what we discover is the blessings of Eden are even popping up in this place, in this hostile place. All of this ugliness cannot stop God from bringing blessing to this mess. God will not be ruled out of the story even when nothing about the environment seems to be creating room for him. Remember that when you're in a mess. But it would get harder the king, he, he's resentful, he's fearful of this, this flourishing community, and so he oppresses them. Iron fist. Makes them slaves to build Egyptian cities. The Egyptians, they made their lives bitter with harsh labor, and, and bricks and mortar, and all kind of work in the fields, and all of their harsh labor, the Egyptians treated them ruthlessly. Just got them locked down tight. And then it gets even nastier. 
There's the genocide of the Israelite baby boys. Throw them in the river, the king says. Now, the, the Bible knows drama. <laughs> It'll keep us in suspense when things are hanging in the balance. But really, th this is almost to the point now. We're, we're past the drama. This is a done deal. Show's over. We are so far away from God's intent. It is beyond hopeless. It, it's surrender cobra time, right? What, this is what you do when you know your team is going to lose. God's plan to, to bless a particular people for the sake of the world, it's been shut down. Those people have been conscripted into forced labor, building another kingdom, being whipped and beaten and, and treated unjustly. Evil is running rampant. Their babies are being thrown into the river. That's their lineage, the descendants that God's supposed to use to bless the world. It's cut off. No, no, Pharaoh. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, is running the world right now. This is his world. And under his hand, the plans of God have ground to a gruesome halt. I, I don't know, so, so this, <laughs> that's maybe a pose you've struck before. And not, not just about trivial things like football games, but in the face of real pain and hopelessness, failure, or sickness, or death, or, Job loss, eviction, a relationship falls apart, there's abuse, or you just, you're just at a dead end, like nothing's ever gonna change. And that's the only thing you could have believed if you were one of God's people living in Egypt. I mean, the Bible hadn't written, hasn't been written yet. Abraham's long gone. Moses is just some dude that, you know, killed a guy and fled a few decades ago, not... None, none of the, you know, newspaper articles are published in the burning bush, all that behind-the-scenes stuff. So you can imagine what it must have been like when at the end of Exodus chapter 4, Moses and Aaron come back. And they brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses, that he's going to lead the people out. And he performed signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. A fitting response. When you discover God sees, God hears, God knows, and God cares. They worship, and it was probably an awesome and hope-filled moment to galvanize the troops. But their resolve would soon be tested because, as you might have guessed, Pharaoh didn't respond the same way. <laughs> Chapter 5, Moses and Aaron, they go to Pharaoh and they say, this is what the Lord of God of, God of Israel says, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, who's the Lord? What, who, I'm going to obey him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. I will not let Israel go. Oh, this, this is going to be harder than we thought. 
All right, from here forward, it, it really gets gnarly, all right? And if you, you probably know, you might know what's coming. If you find people who only know tiny bits of the Bible, they probably know something about the plagues. They have some awareness. That's in the Bible, right? Well, that's what's next. Water and the blood and the frogs and the gnats and the flies and six more to boot. They're all about to descend on Egypt. Okay, we're, we're not going to dive super deeply into all of them, but we can know just a few things. Now, first, did you hear what Pharaoh said? <laughs> now, we've been following along from the perspective of the people to an ancient Israelite. That would have been devastating when, when the most powerful man in the world puts his foot down, right when your hopes are going up. But, okay, <laughs> from the vantage point of people who, who know something about these plagues that are going to be coming, and we have a, a Bible with a book called Exodus, like we know there's going to be an Exodus. It's going to happen reading this after the fact, and you hear Pharaoh say, I don't know, Yahweh. Why would I obey him? It's like, oh, that's not good, bro. Like, like if, I'm, if I'm talking trash about some guy named Usain Bolt, like bet my house I could beat him in a race. It's like, no, dude, you do not. You don't know what you're saying. No, it's easier, and frankly, it's more satisfying to hear that boastful talk in the mouth of the bad guy. But, but this arrogance and this ignorance that, that plagues, pardon my pun, it, it plagues all of us, right? I mean, this is the pride that created this whole problem in the first place. Who's God that I should obey him? It's not just an ancient problem. That's why we're still reading the Bible, because it exposes for us the arrogance that's anchored right here. At least for anyone who's willing to be honest. And if we insist, it will be our undoing. Pharaoh will provide the case in point. Now, we'll have some questions about what unfolds from this point. Uh, and they emerge pretty naturally when you read things like Exodus 10, before the plague of locusts. Uh, the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh, for I've hardened his heart and the heart of his servants in order to display these signs of mine before him, these 10 plagues. And in order that, you know, in the hearing of your son, would you tell your son and your grandson about all of this, how I made fools of the Egyptians and about my signs that I displayed among them, you will know that I am the Lord. So this theme, so that you may know that I'm the Lord, it keeps coming up over and over. That, that's ultimately what God wants. That, that's what we want. It's central to the restoration that the world needs, that God would be known. But you read things like this and it, it can... Uh, make you wonder, is that really the way you had to do it, God? You know, sometimes our modern sensibilities kind of wish, I don't know, maybe God were a little more tame. What's, what's, what's with the hardening Pharaoh's heart? God, that, that sounds unfair. Well, uh, I'm not going to try to tame God, and I can't answer every question, but three quick things, all right? Uh, one, you, you read the whole narrative, and yes, Pharaoh's heart is hard. Now, sometimes it says God hardened it. Sometimes it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And sometimes it just says Pharaoh's heart was hard. I don't know the interplay between all of those things, but they're all there. Second, uh, what the story does not lead us to imagine is that Pharaoh was like some sort of cuddly puppy until mean old God started messing with him. No, not at all. I mean, we've seen what this guy is capable of. His hardness and meanness and sheer evil, it's there. 
Right? He doesn't need help with that. That didn't come from God. And third, we got, we've got to immerse ourselves in the world where, where everything about Egypt, okay, it had ruled Yahweh out. Pharaoh is God incarnate. He is among the pantheon of gods that in their view is ordering all of life and and structuring everything in a way to exalt Pharaoh above all else, accommodating no challenger. Okay, Pharaoh and the gods are defining and sustaining reality. It's safe to say that they were pretty hardened in this understanding, just like we get sometimes with our views. And the point of this whole drama is that God is going to make a mockery of that entire system and anyone who clings to it for life. The one true God is going to throw that into chaos. The most foolish thing that Pharaoh could do would be to assume that he has some kind of influence over the God of these people whom he's controlled for so long. No, no, no. What is being announced through this moment in the history of the world is that the God of creation is the one who has influence and authority even over Pharaoh's heart if he wants it because Pharaoh ain't nobody. And finally, this is four things now, ain't nobody gonna believe all that or acknowledge all of that unless there is some kind of dramatic upending of the world as they know it. Grace has been extended. Requests have been made. Signs have appeared. God has been patient. But but nothing shy of the total dismantling of the whole Egyptian system is going to serve to tell the story that the world needs to hear about who this God is. Everything that Pharaoh stands for and everything that Egypt has become stands against the goodness and blessing that God wants to bring to the world. And so God is going to patiently, dramatically, powerfully decreate what is opposed to the life he wants so that he can give birth to something new. We need a new creation. And it will only come by the depths of God's love and the strength of God's hand and the willingness of the people he created. That's what happens in a baptism, okay? Just not on the big stage, but just boil it down to an individual. When a person is gripped by the love and power of God, they dismantle what is opposed to God and they become a willing partner with him as new creation is birthed in their life. So I know, we we got a lot of questions uh, about the plagues and I didn't answer them all, okay. But the short story on them is this. Pharaoh clings to the world of violence and evil that he created. And after decades of patience, God now accelerates the unraveling of that world through, yeah, flies and hail and boils and gnats and death of livestock and all the rest. A world 
set up against the author of light and life will ultimately end in darkness and death. A system, a person, a community established in opposition to the author of light and life will, even if it looks great for a while, will end up in darkness and death. And you can learn that the hard way if you insist. Darkness and death are the final two plagues. You know what places along the way Pharaoh actually repents and then reneges? <laughs> Pharaoh wielded death as a tool to build his kingdom. And death will now be wielded against him. Across the whole land, every firstborn son will die, including Pharaoh's. That's the sobering warning God gives in Exodus 12. I will pass through Egypt and I will strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The Israelite people have been trapped in this nightmare for so long. They've been victimized by death. So how is it that now, while the whole world around them is caught in the clutches of death, will they escape its grasp? God provides a lamb. This would be a distinctive ritual for the Israelites, both right now and for years to come. Each household would select a year-old lamb without defect to prepare for a special meal, a commemorative meal, because those who eat it will remember what God did here. At twilight, the lamb is to be slain, and the blood is to be taken and spread on the door frames and the top and the side of the houses as they're eating the meal. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, God says, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. The power of death will have no hold on you because of the blood of the Lamb. The Lamb's life for your life. It happened just as God said at midnight. And afterward, Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians, they got up during the night. There was loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. He said, get up, leave my people. You and the Israelites, just go. Go worship the Lord as you have requested. And so they were set free. Now, we're going to close our time in just a minute, um, focusing on the blood of, of the lamb, all right? And, and we're just not even going to be able to appreciate all of the drama of what's next, okay? Now, it's important to know the story is not over. You probably sensed that because there's a famous scene coming up, seen it in movies and, and, and so forth. See, their, their freedom, it, it comes first in the form of being halted at the edge of the sea and hemmed in behind by Pharaoh and his army. Yes, 
the same Pharaoh who said, get up and get out of here, he reneged again. I mean, it's almost comical, but really it, it's tragic. You know, the, the phrase glutton for punishment comes to mind. The Israelite people, though, immediately, they, they think they're the ones going to be punished. Right? Never mind, you know, the arm of God that flexed and all those other occasions. They're convinced that their fortunes now have run out and they start panicking. Easy to pick on them for their lack of faith, but I'd be doing the same thing. And that's when, on the banks of the sea, Moses speaks to the people and says, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And that's like the hardest advice that you could ever get. (laughs) Super difficult posture to take. Be still. Which which isn't about uh, inaction as much as it's about trust. And, And about tuning in to God's will and God's way and God's timing and trusting that to bring about deliverance as opposed to taking matters into my own hands. Now, That's the work you do in prayer. That's super hard when you're up against the wall, when, when you're in pain, when, when you have, you, you don't, you're in a place you don't want to be. On the other hand, when, when you've witnessed God act, when you know God, when you see the fallacy and the danger of trying to control things your way, like the way of Pharaoh, well, then maybe that helps you stand firm. And let the Lord fight the battle. The Israelites did that. And the Spirit of God that was there at, the, at creation, calming the waters and bringing order, sent a wind to blow back the waters of the sea so that Israel could go through on dry ground. And Pharaoh and all his army were engulfed by the chaotic waters. Poetic justice. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. The end. For now. There you go. Ten chapters. Boy, that's a lot to say. There's, there's so much more to say. They're not even there yet. But they're on the way. And more, more on that later. Uh, let's, let's close it up like this. Uh, to review, this is an important part of the Bible. And the more you tap into the Bible... Uh, the, the more that you will see this story unfolding in all different kind of places, and by God's grace, the more that you will see this, un- this story unfolding in your own life and community. You know, when you, when you zoom all the way out, this is the grand story. Paradise has been lost. And the consequences of sin and death are waging war to destroy the good world that God made. We're part of the problem, complicit with evil, for it doesn't just live in Pharaoh's heart, but in our own. 
Nevertheless, by God's grace, the heavenly blessings of Eden, they're still found emerging from the mess, wherever God's people are receptive to God's presence. See, God, God hasn't abandoned the world. He's still here, patiently and powerfully working to bring light and life out of darkness and death. God will not be ruled out of the story. And he's pleading with each of us, don't rule me out of your story. A promise is on the horizon. The world does have a destiny. It's a future that sometimes seems impossibly far away. And, and no human agency or power can bring it about. But by the depths of God's love and the strength of God's hand, it will be brought forth. There will be new creation and we will be set free to take up residence in it. God will battle sin and death and secure the safety of the land from tears and sorrow and violence and pain. People from all nations will stream to it and experience the blessing of God. How can we be sure of this? Because of the blood of the Lamb. Now I know I'm rolling in the deep a little bit here, but I, I hope that some of the pieces are coming together a little bit for you and you can see now that I'm talking about Jesus. Paul in the New Testament called Jesus the Passover lamb. Before going to the cross, Jesus shared a Passover meal with his disciples. And he said, something new is happening in my flesh and my blood. The world has been held captive by evil, but much more powerful than the Egyptians or Rome or whoever. It's the sin that, that so easily entangles all of us. And the wages of sin is death. I came to set you free from it. I came to make a way new creation can be birthed in your life. The kingdom of God can come to you if you'll stop trying to build your own. John the Baptist saw it. When he first laid eyes on Jesus, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The one who, by the depth of his love and the strength of his trust in God's hand to deliver him from death, defeated our greatest enemy and now reigns on high. That's something that God wants us to commemorate that God wants us to remember. <laughs> and that's why this community stands with all the generations of those who've come before to celebrate the communion meal, the Lord's Supper. And we're gonna do that in just a moment at all of our campuses, or if you're at home, you can prepare some bread and juice. Those things are a tangible way to remember what Jesus, the lamb who was slain, what he accomplished on our behalf. And as you reach for those things, and as we eat and drink together, uh, let this be a call for each of us to do two things. One is to take hold. Take hold of this story, of what happened here. This can be your story. 
Again, I don't know what you've ruined. I don't know what's ruined you. But because of the blood of the Lamb, now you have a better story to tell about how God can redeem what's broken. God calls you a son, calls you a daughter. You have a father who has set you free. You have a future because this story is not just some ancient tale. It's your story. Take hold of it. And second, you got to leave behind some things. You know, that's what Israel had to do. And it was going to prove to be quite difficult. Now, sure, they're glad to get out. <laughs> but the pull to what's comfortable, to what's familiar, that was going to keep challenging them even after they're through the sea. The Christian journey, it's not just about crossing the threshold, but it's a continual leaving behind. Leave behind your desire to control everything. Leave behind your sin patterns that only create more ruin. Leave behind your fears about what's ahead. Leave behind your complaints that life ain't happening on your time. And allow every point of angst to push you toward greater trust in God. And if what you need to leave behind is, is a whole system and life and an MO that is set up in opposition to the one true God, then leave that behind today as well. <laughs> we'll lead you through the waters of baptism so God can create in you something new. I'm going to pray right now, and then there will be some space for all of us to take the bread and the cup whenever you're ready, as we remember what happened here. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful to who you are, uh, so grateful to, to what you have done and how you have brought us, how you have led us. We can all very much think of the, the ruin from which we come, the, the, the pain and the, the evil, the violence maybe that describes our past or even our present situation. God, we want something better. We're reaching out to you. We're asking for an exodus. Whatever has been plaguing us, God, would you defeat it in Jesus' name? Would you call us out of the darkness? Call us out of, of, of the chaotic waters. Save us by your power. In your love, visit us in our misery. And lead us to something new. Bring new creation alive in our lives, in the life of our church and our community. We're trusting you, God. We're depending on you, God. We thank you for making a way through the blood of the Lamb. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.